You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Brothers and sisters, let us open the Word of God and let us read from the Bible, Micah chapter 6. In Micah 6, we read about Lord's case against Israel. Now we read the Word of God. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, O mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people remember what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Listen, the Lord is calling to the city and to fear your name is wisdom. Heed the rod and the one who appointed it. Am I still to forget, O wicked house, your ill-gotten treasures and a short ephah which is accursed? Shall I acquit a man with dishonest scales, with a bag of false weights? Her rich men are violent, her people are liars, and her tongues speak deceitfully. Therefore I have begun to destroy you, to ruin you because of your sins. You will eat but not be satisfied. Your stomach will still be empty. You will store up but save nothing, because what you save I will give to the sword. You will plant, but not harvest. You will press olives, but not use the oil on yourselves. You will crush grapes, but not drink the wine. You have observed the statutes of Omri, and all the practices of Ahab's house, and you have followed their traditions. Therefore I will give you over to ruin, and your people to derision. You will bear the scorn of the nations." I proclaim to you the word of God as it comes to us in Micah 6 and especially in verse 8. So let us read verse 8 again. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Beloved brothers and sisters, congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The text of this afternoon is quite a popular one. 
a text that is often chosen for all kinds of opportunities, for themes for the schools, theme for the home visits. It's also a nice text for weddings. And while I was preparing for this sermon, I noticed how often you can find this text being quoted. But why is it such a popular text? Well, in fact, if you have a closer look at this text, then you will notice that it is a summary of the whole Old Testament. Yes, the whole biblical teaching about living with God within the covenant. God comes to us, he makes his covenant with us, and God says to us, now that I redeemed you, now I want you to live with me within the covenant. And this is how you how your life will be a life within the covenant. This is what God requires of you. And then you can add the words of our text. Therefore, you can say that in our text, the Lord comes to his people and he requires of his people to live a covenant life. And that's the theme for the preaching of God's word for this afternoon. The Lord requires of his people to live a covenant life. And then we see that life is, in the first place, upright, in second place, dedicated, and in third place, humble. <clears throat> the Lord requires of his people to live a covenant life. That is, in the first place, an upright life. If you read through the book of Micah, then you will notice that in the first five chapters, Micah mainly prophesied against the nobles of Judah, those who were in the government, the leaders, the priests. They were the ones who should lead the people in the ways of the Lord. But they are the ones who led them astray. And they will be held responsible for that. And we know that's more than a century later when Judah was taken into exile, then it were especially, especially the leaders who had to go. They were the first to be taken into exile by the Babylonians. But that does not mean that the rest of the people is innocent. And we see now in chapter 6, Micah addresses the whole people of Judah. They also, not only the leaders, but also they did not serve the Lord as they should. And they have their own responsibility. And now Micah does it in the form of a court case. The Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel, we read in verse 2. And in verse 3 to 5, there we hear a charge. And from that we can learn what the attitude of Judah was. The Lord tells what he did for his people. He brought them up out of Egypt and led them through the desert. He protected them when Balak and Balaam wanted to curse them. He brought them into the land of Canaan. But they did not answer his great deeds with thankfulness. He made with them his covenant, covenant of love, in which he first came with his love to his people, And he told them to show to him their love and thankfulness. But they disappointed him. 
However, Judah has a different opinion. In verse 3, there we read that the Lord says, How have I burdened you? Apparently the Jews were of the opinion that they did their utmost to please the Lord, to bring their sacrifices, and that they tired themselves out in their service to the Lord. And that is what we read in the verses 6 and 7. There we can hear how Micah in his prophecy shows the answer of the people in this court case. They speak about burnt offerings with calves a year old. Well, that are the best offerings you can bring. And thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil, sacrifices in abundance. Yes, they even sacrifice their own flesh, that is, their own children. That was common practice among the heathen people in those days, that they burned their children alive in a fire before the statues of their gods. In Second Kings 21, we can read that the son of Hezekiah, Manasseh, that he sacrificed his own son in a fire, or it can also be translated with, he made his own son pass through the fire. What means so much as burn him alive. Apparently, this already happened before him. Or maybe this part of the prophecy must be placed in the days of Manasseh. Whatever it is, the people of Judah followed the practices of the heathen people by sacrificing their own children in a fire. And they thought that by burning their own flesh, their own son, the fruit of their own body, they obliged the gods and then the gods must listen to them. Well, isn't that the utmost you can do for the gods? What could you do more? And that was also the attitude of the people of Judah. When Micah prophesied, he got this reaction. What do you complain? What do you whine? Don't we do our best? Don't we tire ourselves out? Don't we even give our own children in a fire? What more does God want? And they challenged Micah to tell them what they were lacking. Your gloom and doom, prophet. You, why must you always be so negative? Aren't we good enough? Don't we do enough? Come on, tell us, what is it what we should do more? Come on, and show. If you can come up with something better than we already do. And then Micah answered, Why do you ask what you already know? Why do you ask for what God already revealed to you? Why are you so pleased with yourself while you know that what you are doing is not what the Lord asks? You can be so busy with what you think is good, but actually you should know yourself that it is not good at all that it is not pleasing to the Lord at all. You are asking for a new revelation. You are asking for something. No, you are not asking for a new revelation. You are asking for something that you already should know. The Lord has showed you, O man, what is good. You know the way. Why do you still ask for the way? It is the way of God's covenant. 
And this way was already known by God's people for many centuries. You grew up within the covenant. You grew up under the teaching of the law, which was read every Sabbath day. You sat under the reading of God's word every Sabbath day. There it is that God revealed his will. And all you covenant people, each and every one of you, Every individual man, woman, you all should know what it is that the Lord requires of you. He has showed you what is good. Brothers and sisters, now in the time of the New Testament, we have the entire Bible. And we may listen to the Bible every week again. The entire Bible. We may read it every day. Also, we are part of the covenant. So also in our situation we can say that God has shown what is good. But the Jews, although they did not yet have the entire Bible, and the Savior still had to come, the Jews also could know the will of the Lord as well. Already from the very first beginning, in the five books of Moses, God revealed his will. And from the very first beginning, from the moment that God led them out of Egypt... The people knew that they lived within a covenant of love. They knew what God did for them. And every week again they heard the Ten Commandments, which start with the words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And every Sabbath, those well-known words from Deuteronomy 6 were read. They even formed an official part of the liturgy of every Sabbath of the synagogues, the words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. They knew that quite well. Deuteronomy 6, that is also that chapter in which they were told to bind these commandments as symbols on their hands and on their foreheads, to write them on the door frames of their houses and on their gates. The law, the ten words of the covenant, they speak about God's covenant, about the fact that God led his people out of the land of slavery. And in the ten words of the covenant, God shows to his people what is good. That is to live within the covenant, in love for God and for your neighbor. And God makes it even specific in those ten commandments. They are all summarized in the two great commandments which God already gave in the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourselves. That is in fact what God requires of his people. Love. Dear brothers and sisters, God's covenant people, also you, now in the New Testament, you grew up within the covenant through Christ. We also belong to the covenant, not only the Jews, but also believers from the heathen people. Also you, who grew up within the covenant, you who come here in church every Sunday again, you hear the word of God, you hear his ten commandments, you hear the gospel of salvation and renewal. You also, you don't have to ask for what you already know. There is no excuse for not doing what the Lord requires. You know what the Lord requires of you. Therefore, be faithful. There is no excuse for not following the will of the Lord. There is no excuse to continue in your sin. You cannot say, we did not know. 
You can hear it every Sunday again. The people of Judah defended themselves. Didn't we do enough? Look what all we offered. Look what all we brought to the Lord. All those sacrifices, so much. And we could say, look what we do for the Lord. We send our children to Christian schools. We sacrifice a lot for that. We give a lot of money to the church and to many organizations. We are active every week again. We spend so many nights on work, uh, nights on work for school and for church. We all fulfill our duty. Doesn't that show how good we are? How much we are willing to sacrifice for the Lord? Yes, you can see around, there's so many Christians who are only named Christians and are not really willing to sacrifice. You can see around, there's so many Christians who go on their own ways. But so not we. Look at us, we are faithful. We are the true church. We don't give in to all the temptations of the world. What more can we do? What else? Well, brothers and sisters, don't you know what the Lord revealed to you in his word? That is what Micah had to tell the people. In all their busyness, they did not understand God's revelation. They missed the whole point. God does not demand all those sacrifices. God does not demand an abundance of burnt offerings. No, he demands obedience. A people that walks in righteousness before him. He demands their hearts. All their busyness, all their sacrifices, it was all false worship, false service. The Lord detested it. He didn't want to see or smell their sacrifices anymore. He didn't want to hear their music anymore. All their busyness, because it did not come from the heart. It was not a show of their love and faithfulness. It was all out of an attitude, we will oblige the Lord so that he will have to bless us. But then the answer of the Lord is, as we sang in Psalm 50, what do all your sacrifices mean? Even if they were perfect, what do they mean? And what does the continual recitation of God's law and God's word mean? When in your daily life you throw God's words away, you wicked man. No, blessed is the man, we sang, whom sin cannot entice, who brings thanksgiving as his sacrifice. That man is righteous. That upright man, I will show God's salvation. <coughs> also nowadays, brothers and sisters, there is so much religiosity. And so, so much religious activity. There is so much that must make us feel good about ourselves. So many who seek to serve God in their neighbor or in so many other good deeds. There is so much maybe also among us that must make us feel, feel good. In this time of postmodernism, we are so much influenced by what appeals to our own feelings. If it feels good, then it must be good. You can see it in so many preachers in those mega churches, which you can see on television, but also the huge interest for people who are good speakers, speakers who can play with the emotions of people. You can see it in politics. We saw it in, in the last, the latest federal election. The debates between leaders of the political parties 
those who are able to speak the right words, to say the right things, they win the debate. And then it doesn't matter what they say, it is only important how they say it. If you are able to say it better than the other, well then you are good. Then you are a winner. And some skillful politicians are even able to convince the people of of the most ridiculous ideas just by using the right words which appeal to the feelings of the people. Well, we say we would never do what the Germans under Hitler did. No. But if there is someone who skillfully knows to play on the mood of their audience and is able to appeal to the feelings of the people, he will be able to sway the people to make them do things they never thought they would. That is how Satan works. And don't think that we are immune for that. Also in the church, such things can happen. Especially in the church, Satan is working hard. The Apostle Paul warns in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, for a time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myth. Brothers and sisters, I'm always very leery about those speakers who draw a lot of people only because they can say it so beautifully. Those people who can draw full rooms, full churches, huge crowds, just because they are such good preachers. Because then it depends so much on man, on the one who is preaching, and not on what he is preaching. Not necessarily because what they say is wrong, but more because we ourselves, we so easily give in to our own feelings, and often when speakers can say things so beautifully, then we let down our guard, and then we are so vulnerable for heresies. And we should realize that. Again, that does not mean that everyone who has the skills to say things in such a beautiful way that he brings heresies. No. But we should realize that at the end, it is the word of God that is important. That what God reveals to us in his word. Not the way in which people can say things. Not the beautiful words that appeal to our feelings. But the word of God. And therefore, it is of utmost importance that we continue to study the Word of God and that we do it together. Remember, brothers and sisters, it is the Word of God in which God revealed to us what is good. This is it from where you should get the knowledge about what is good. This is it what you should, what you must study. It is not important what we think is good. It is important what God tells you that is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. And often when we speak about acting justly, we will think about treating everybody in a fair way. Often, we mean being just in the way we deal with others. But here Micah means in the first place that we should act justly, that we should be upright before the Lord. God is just, and God created us in his image. He did so because it is his will to live in a covenant with us. 
He created us in His image so that we would have the gifts which we need to live in communion with God. That we could answer His love with love. And within that covenant, God requires of us that we live uprightly. That we act justly towards Him. And then He will also act justly towards and everybody who lives justly before the Lord, he will also act justly towards his neighbor. But it is in the first place important that man within the covenant reflects God's justice. To act justly. Justly. That means in the first place that we acknowledge God as our God and our creator all the days of our life. And also that we acknowledge him as the God of the covenant who made his covenant with us after he first redeemed us from the power of sin. That we acknowledge him in all our ways, to act justly, simply means to live according to God's commandments all in all our ways, every day again. As God said in Deuteronomy 6, when you are at home and when you are on the way, when you lie down and when you get up, always. People of Judah, they brought their sacrifices they fulfilled their obligations, and then thereafter they went on their own ways. We did our part for the Lord, they said, and now we can do our own part. On Sundays we go to church, we say, and there we come together to meet the Lord and to listen to his word. And in the preaching we must receive our spiritual food for the whole week, we often say. But what do we do during the week? if we only receive our spiritual food on Sundays and not on the other days of the week, then we will be hungry during the week or we will suffer voluntary starvation. That is never good. The word of God is for every day. And every day we will start with the word of God. And the word of God will be a light on our path every day again because it is there where the Lord reveals us to us what we must do, to act justly, to be upright in all our ways, to walk with the Lord, your God, as we will see in the third point. But now first we will see that the covenant life is a dedicated life. That's the second point. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy. In the Hebrew text, these two sentences are connected and we should read them like What does the Lord require of you? What else than to act justly and to love mercy? What else is it that we should do? This is all that God requires. Not all those sacrifices, not at all the sacrifices of your own children, not all that busyness. No, it is only one thing. And that one thing is summarized in three phrases. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. They are all three expressions of one attitude. It is not just what you do. It is not the sacrifices that you bring, even if you gave the best that you could give. Even if you gave all your possessions, then still it would not be pleasing to God if there was not an attitude of thankfulness. What God demands is that you live a covenant life, a life that is governed by God's covenant with his people. His covenant, that is everything in your life. That means to live with God. Well, if you really live with God within His covenant, then you will act justly. 
And what that means we already heard in the first part. But then you will also love mercy. Now that we know that these words speak about our relation with God, then we also understand that these words in our translation are not very well chosen. To love mercy. The word used in Hebrew speaks about something we do with our heart. To act justly, that is something we do. We act. We keep God's commandments. Now we speak about something that is in our heart. The word can also be translated with kindness. Loving kindness, goodness, good favor. In short, to love mercy means here something like to have a positive attitude. A charitable attitude. Well, if you look at our own nature, we are inclined to hate God and our neighbor, the Catechism says. We, it is our, it is our nature to be negative, to criticize the other, to say nasty things about the other. Or at least if you don't say them, then you think them. We also see so often in discussions that we explain someone's words in a negative way. Often we don't read or listen with a charitable attitude but with an attitude to find fault with the other and to say, see, I told you, you can't trust him. Well, it is the same if it comes to God. So often I I can hear people say, someone lived such a good life, he was always active for the church, he was such a believing person, and now look what happened. He didn't deserve that. Well, implicitly that is an accusation against God. God, you didn't do it right. We won't say that, but still we think or even say he didn't deserve this. Or we think it in our own heart about ourselves. God, I did so much for you. Why don't you help me? Or God, this is not fair. Why do you let this happen to me? The attitude of of, the attitude of many of the people of Israel was... If God does not help us, despite all our sacrifices and all that we did for him, then we will turn to other gods. Maybe they will help us. And they introduced the idols of the heathen people around them into the worship service. That's in fact all the same. It is all out of an attitude of criticizing whatever does not go according to your own desires. If God does not satisfy your desires, then you start criticizing God. Then it is not good. Well, that is the wrong attitude. Within the covenant, the situation should be completely different. We can't come with our conditions to God. No, remember what we were before we were called by God. Remember what we were before God redeemed us. We were nothing. Really nothing. We were dead spiritually. And that would also lead to our physical death. Both eternally. And remember what God did for us. Remember what God did for his people Israel. He led them out of Egypt. Out of the land of slavery. What right did they have to complain about God? Did God not help them already from the very first beginning? Did God not protect them all the time in the desert? And also thereafter? Did God not deliver them from the hands of their enemies all those times in the past centuries? What do they have to blame God for? Isn't all that they have and all that they are, isn't it all God's grace? And should there not be an attitude of thankfulness and love? And brothers and sisters, remember what God did for us. 
how he gave his one and only son to deliver us from eternal misery and death. And the situation in the world would be much, much worse if God did not come to us in his grace and showed his love to us. And the misery in this world would be unimaginable, incredible, if God did not uphold this creation in his providence for the sake of those whom he loves, his children. And that is all the result of our own deeds, all that misery. It is not the result of God's deeds. And remember that always. And now God requires of you, now that he not only redeemed you, but even made his covenant with you, with his people, his covenant of love, in which he comes to his people in love, now he requires of you, his people, that you are fully dedicated to him. That you give up your negative and critical attitude, and that you love with him, with your whole heart, and completely give yourself to him. Trust that his will is good. See, in everything that happens, God's goodness, who protects you from all evil, or who will turn it to your benefit. God is good. God is great. God is almighty. What he does is good. In him I trust. From him I expect everything. What he does in my life is good. And I will glorify him always, whatever happens. Well, that is quite something. If you can say that. But you can say that. Because God works in you. And he who gave his one and only son for you, he wants you to live with him within his covenant. It is his will that you live with him in the covenant. He works in you so that you are able to live with him in the covenant. So that you are able to live with him in in that relation of love. Your heart filled with love for God. Totally dedicated to the Lord your God. Sacrifice to him your heart, wholeheartedly, your entire life. Not just your money and your time. Not just a large part of your energy, but your heart. And with that, your entire life. As a sacrifice of thankfulness. Not a sacrifice of thankfulness, full of love, fully dedicated to him. And then you will also walk humbly with him, your God. That's what we see in the third and last place. The Lord requires of his people to live a covenant life that is a humble life. Walk with God. When the Bible speaks about walking with God, then it speaks about having a close relation with God. God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. But that one day that Adam and Eve sinned, they did not want it anymore and they hid from God. And that close relation was broken. In Genesis 5, we read about Enoch, that he walked with God. Then he was no more, because God took him away. Enoch walked with God, and God took him up so that he didn't have to die. And we can see it in our own life too. When we talk, we talk about going for a walk, when you, when you go out for a walk, you just want to have time to talk. When the weather is beautiful, You go outside, you go for a walk together with someone else or a few others, and then you talk together. You don't walk in silence. You talk together. You have time for each other. You listen to the other. The other listens to you. It's much easier talking when you walk together than than when you sit down. When the Bible speaks about walking with God, then 
That is meant the highest and best form of communion with God. Live in a close relation with God. Go the way of your life together with the Lord in constant contact with the Lord. There is a constant living and remembering of God's covenant, God's relation with you. Involve God in everything. You don't go alone, but God is always with you. Living within a covenant with God, that means to act justly, to have a positive attitude, completely dedicated to God. It is even more, it is live your entire life with God. Go with Him every moment of your life. And then we should not forget that we must walk humbly with God. Humbly, it means that although we may walk with God, that does not mean that we are equal to God. We are God's creatures. He is our creator. There is a difference. We must be aware of that, of our status before God. It is God who decides which road to take. It is God who takes us by the hand and leads us. We are his children. Imagine that a father takes his child for a walk, his little child. He takes it by the hand and goes for a walk. You can see the child beaming. Proud that he can walk with his father. That his father takes time for him. That his father is there for him. Yes, father leads the way. He decides where to go. With a child, for a child it is enough that he can walk at father's hand. He will go with father. Go the ways which father goes. That is how we walk with God. He leads us. We follow him. Trusting in him. Going in his ways. Walk humbly with your God. What a contrast with the life of the postmodern man. He goes his own ways. He follows his own feelings. He decides for himself what to do and what to believe. He is his own God. And if there is a God, then he will decide how this God must be. He will decide how this God may serve him. He will make his God in his own image. There is not only the postmodern man that also was what the Israelites already did in their own way. The postmodern man does it differently than the generations before him, and those generations did it differently from the generations before them. But all those who do not walk with God, they make their own gods, and they want their gods to follow them, to follow them on the way they choose to go. But that is not how we walk with God. Humbly, we follow God. Let him show us what is good. Let his word be the lamb on our path. Then we will be blessed. And how blessed are those who upright in their way, who keep the Lord's decrees with dedication, and in their walk of life his law obey. How blessed are those who with determination wholeheartedly seek him by night and day and look to him for guidance and salvation. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.